Hello everyone, welcome to Robinson 4215. We'll hear true stories about life from the Robinson family. I'm your host, Jordan Robinson. I'm here with my father, Daryl Robinson. I'll be asking him a few questions to discover more about his life, his life story, and personal experiences. Last time we were talking, I brought up something about traveling abroad. So can you tell me how it came to your uh, father join joined up with an air force or airliner like from cops to airliner how did that work uh he he was retiring from the police department but before he retired he had used to travel overseas you know different countries amsterdam spain morocco uh germany that kind of stuff and one year uh early in the 70s he took my family and I to Spain. I was about 15 and I, that was my first time being overseas and I really didn't know anything because I didn't know their culture. Mm. But uh, I had a nice time in Spain and came back to appreciate this country even more because they didn't have the fast food uh, stuff we're accustomed to and uh, plus I just missed being home. But uh, yeah, later on in the years, after he retired from the police department, he was a airline uh, steward. Okay. And he uh, he worked for Northwest. He did that for about another five, ten years, and then he uh, let it all go. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, do you nah, know? What you want to know what's interesting? You want to know what's interesting? What's he retired it? from the police department. Uh, what ten, twenty, almost thirty years, twenty-eight years ago. He's the only police officer I know at 82 that's on the force. He's now. on the force? Now. Wow. Wow. So what exactly happened with that? I mean. Something magically delicious happened because me, for my in my right mind, I wouldn't hire no 82-year-old police, but, you know, they use them to, to deliver traffics to, tickets to the traffic court, and that alleviates some of the pressure off of uh have manpower in the streets, I guess. I don't know. But, yes, he's a Detroit police officer at 82. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that's what, that's what I said. What kind of world am I living in? <laughs> okay. Well, um, <laughs> well, can you tell me anything more about uh, your travels? I mean, like, did you do anything special when you were in Spain? Though? Uh, went to a bullfight. And uh, drank a lot of vino and uh, sailed on the Mediterranean. You know, they had the little boats you could paddle out to the Mediterranean. Yeah. It's a big sea. It's a big sea. Wow. Other than that, I uh, went to Morocco, seen how they lived in, uh, what's they call it, uh, the Kasbah. The they what? call it the Kasbah. The Kasbah. And the Kasbah is like a, it's like a city built on a on a hill, but it's not it's not an actual hill. It's like, uh, you know, regular streets, sidewalks, but the streets are real narrow, real narrow. And the further down you go, the darker it gets. Well, the further down you go in the Kasbah, the more devious it gets. You can get robbed. Uh, you know, uh, they can steal your luggage, uh, kidnap you, whatever. Wow. And uh, one thing that blew me away is while we were in the Kasbah, because 
you gotta remember this is the this is the mid seventies, so food wasn't abundant like it is here, and um, it was a piece of lettuce on the ground and people just walking all over it and going about their business. And I seen a little girl. She picked up the lettuce, didn't wipe it off, didn't didn't you know avoid chewing on it. She just bit into it because she was that hungry. Wow. And I thought, wow, if they live this bad, I got to get back home. Oh. I can't I can't do this. Wow, that must have been different. Like, how old were you at the time? I think I was about 14 or 15. So it was like uh, 72 or 73. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, and then uh, my father met some guy at the Hotel Africa where we stayed, and he wanted to marry my sister for uh, three goats and a cow. Wow. And I thought that I, I thought that was a good deal, considering it's my sister. <laughs> Okay. My father, he he didn't like the idea. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's what I remember. That's a, that's that interesting first, right? Like never heard that before. Oh. Not coming from where I came from. I'm from the city. Yeah. Do you have any uh, favorite stories of things that happened while you were out there? Like anything that was like uh, unique or anything? What, being overseas? Yeah, I mean, like, it just sounds like it's awesome the whole way through. But I guess, like, I just want to know if there was anything unique that you you might want to share outside of that. Only thing, only thing to unique was to me was the, the government police. They were, like, at every other corner. And um, they had orders to shoot to kill. And uh, the general that was running Spain then was called Franco Franco. And that's all I knew. But it was still sort of on the military occupation. Now, if that's still true, I don't know. But I know I was impressed with what I saw. Hmm. And as soon as I came back to America, I kissed the ground because it's a beautiful country. I don't care how they treat you here. It's still the best country in the world. Yeah. Okay, cool. By far. All right, so... uh Going back to your childhood and some of the questions regarding that, I mean, like, what were some of the, your favorite things to do as a kid, you know, like in, in grade school or whatnot? Uh, you mean like fourth, fifth grade? I'm seven, I'm about seven, eight years old. I always liked girls, and I was starting to, you know, like girls more so because I had never seen that many girls in one setting. And, and, uh, me coming from uh, the projects, uh, it was very um, multiracial, uh, international. You had the Mexicans, Chinese, uh, the Arabs, the Blacks, the Whites, uh, the, the Yugoslavians, the Germans. And we all just, as kids, just mingled together and had their parents hang up. But uh, I remember I had fun when I was a kid because I, I used to play marbles and, and uh, go on little picnics with my uh, my Mexican girlfriend. But I was like, like I said, I was only five or six years old. <laughs> but in elementary, I was blown away in elementary because the girls were putting tangerines in their bra or toilet paper. And, you know, one day the girls, she got a chest like a 12-year-old boy. Next day she comes looking like Ann Margaret or Raquel Welch. And you like, 
how does that work? So you go ask your buddies, hey, hey, can women's breasts grow overnight? And You know, me being eight years old is stupid. I listen to my old buddy, he say, yeah. And <laughs> and uh, we come to find out that the girl was putting oranges in her, in her, in her blouse because uh, she didn't have any, she hadn't developed yet. And uh, one of my partners, I think he unbuttoned a blouse or he went to squeeze the breast and the orange fell out of bra, some stuff like that. That was funny. I mean, that was funny. Wow. Even though she was probably embarrassed, that made my day because at eight years old, I didn't think you were worried about growing up. You would just want to be silly, stupid kids. Hmm. You know, put replicas of a turtle, a wax figure, put it in the girl's drawer so the girl freaked out when she opened the drawer to do her homework. Uh, yeah, we got we got kicks out of all that kind of stuff. <laughs> that was fun. Elementary school, to me, was a rude awakening because it was still multi, but it was more predominantly black. So this is my first introduction to black people as a whole. The ones that I went to school with were bullies, uh, mad at the world, uh, criminals, or, or were going on criminal intent because they, they didn't see no outlook. And, you know, I was shocked that, you know, you could steal a car at eight and 10 years old and sell it and get money for it. Cause that was new to me. I never heard of nothing like that, but I was going to schools with guys that stole cars that they got out of school and, and chopped them up, you know, sold them for parts. And this is how they made their money. Then other ones were going to jail. And, and then, like I said, the girls were trying to be grown and, you know, I wasn't that big. They used to call us little rocks cause we know bigger than your belt come up to maybe a belt your ankle or your waistline and they used to call us little rocks and it was about six or seven of us and uh you know even though we weren't bad bad things were happening and we were being introduced to these bad things at school i'll give you an example um you know when i was young your parents would give you milk money so you can get some cereal and something to eat before you start class and it wasn't because you were poor. That's just how the program was. Yeah. And um, it was a guy, I swear to God, this guy had to be an adult. He he just, I don't know, he must have snuck into school because he was three times our size and hustling us for our milk money in the morning. And, you know, the teachers didn't supervise the students back then. They sort of, you know, you sort of on your own. And this guy, he's just taking everybody's money because he towers over them. So when he got to me and uh, he said, give me your milk money, I told him I wasn't going to do that. And he asked me why. And I told him my mother gave me the milk money and, you know, I was hungry. So that wasn't a good enough excuse. So he said he's going to kick my ass after school at 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock came. I ran home. I didn't know what to do. So the next day comes and the buddies, some of my buddies that got, you know, uh, Jack for their money, they were sort of mad because here it is going on Wednesday, Thursday, and they're hungry because, they, you know, their family's either, you know, the father's a garbage man or he doesn't work or he's in jail or he doesn't make enough to, you know, uh, give him an allowance or go buy what he wants to eat. It was a different time back then. But um, they were still, he was, they were still bent out of shape about the guy taking their money. So I came up with this novel idea that somebody got behind him. 
I would push them down and, you know, we stomp them like a grape, get our money, go eat, and so be it. And like clockwork, they agreed to do it. So when the guy got to us in line, everybody refused to give up their money. When he got to me, uh, he said, uh, give me your milk money. I said, look, you dumbass. I told you yesterday, I ain't giving you nothing. And if you don't get out my face, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess you up. Well, you know, should have seen the look on his face because this guy had to be like, what, six feet tall and we can't be no more than five one, five two. And he looked down at me. He just started laughing, thinking, you know, I was making it all up. But after my buddy got behind him, I pushed him down. I was the last person he saw. So we did what we said and, and uh, took the money, ate, left him in the hallway, went on by the class. A couple of maybe 40 minutes later, he, him and the principal at my teacher's de- uh, door uh, pointing at me, saying I was the one that she wanted. So when the teacher requested the teacher, I mean, the principal requested the teacher, hey, I want to speak to uh, Mr. Robinson. I came out, and, and the principal was looking at the discrepancy in size, and she was asking him again, are you sure this is the one that robbed you? <laughs> and, and And I looked at him, and and I flinched. When I flinched, he jumped back. And uh, the, the principal, she was like, she was blown away. She like, how are you scared of this? He just, he's half your size. And you scared of him. But she didn't know what, what we did. So <laughs> uh, after that, I didn't have no problems with him. I only had a problems when my father came to the school looking for me because he was a police officer. And nobody knew that, so it was embarrassing when he came up to the school. And um, I didn't like that, but um, we, when we graduated, I thought I would go to junior high like all my other friends over at uh, Drew and then McKenzie High School, but instead they sent me to George Ford and everybody else went on to Drew. So I was going through another transformation in my life. I was being exposed to now mostly white kids when I went to school. So um, the transition wasn't hard for me because I'm a, I'm a friendly guy. And, you know, I wasn't brought up with no hangups about color and all that kind of stuff. I just judge you basically on your personality and character. If you're, you're a good guy, you know, great. If you're a bad guy and I can get along with you, great. You know, I only worried about those that try to take advantage of me. And that didn't happen a lot because... I was smart for my age, and and I knew a lot for my age that most kids knew. So I knew how to handle situations differently. And uh, that's when I got cool with uh, a gang or a crew at Ford. It wasn't a gang, but we it was just so many of us. I mean, we were white. It was black, white. They were fat, skinny, uh, you know, uh, some were older, some were younger. It, we just... We just got along great. I mean, the world didn't exist as far as all that BS, bias, and all that didn't exist. Um, the fun time I had in uh, junior high when I was in the talent show and I sang Groove Me Baby. And, uh, you know, the uh, the girls loved me. They, they thought I sounded like Michael Jackson. Of course, just before I smoked cigarettes and drank. But, you know, I was in the talent show and the, the, the girls are going crazy and and giving me kisses and hugs and thought I'd sound like this guy and this guy. And I sort of liked it, even though I didn't want to do it at first, but 
because the girls, I used to sing to the girls before we went to school, and and they took it upon themselves to and and uh, uh, enroll me in this talent show, and I did the talent show, and I actually liked it, almost won. Hmm. But um, we had a professor, we had a social studies class, and back then social studies was interacting with each other, you know, different personalities. Black, white, Mexican, Latino, Chinese, whatever. You explain your culture to the to the other kids, and they vice versa. And then we we would find uh, uh, some sort of common ground as to want to participate and do things, you know, as far as school's concerned. And um, we threw a couple of parties, and and they put me in charge of uh, organizing it, and and uh, I enjoyed that because. I got to keep most of the money after the after we got the stuff for the party. I kept uh, the rest of the money, but it wasn't like we was eating cheese and crackers. We eat pizza, soda pop, cake, cookies, uh, pies, uh, you name it, we had it. And cost a little, like I said, was cheap back then. Like it's, you could you could buy three hamburgers, a fry, and a drink at McDonald's for less than a dollar and get change back. That was living. And I was only, what, 10, 11, 12 years old? I didn't know this stuff was about to change. If I had, I'd say, hey, that's right. I'll stay here. <laughs> but that ain't how it works. Yeah. I had fun at junior high. But then I got sent to another junior high further away from my house. And uh, that's when the shit sort of hit the fan because, unfortunately, I was close within a half a mile of my house. So those people, we either lived the same or in the same neighborhood. So there were no hang up. But once you went past Greenfield in Detroit, which is like another world because it's predominantly white, if you were black, you were an outsider. And even though this is still in the city of Detroit, back then, blacks didn't live as far out as they had to do now. So when you went across Greenfield, you went another world per se. I went to Brooks. I got along for everybody to a degree, and um, used to play sports with my friends, and we had no problem because it was a brand new, brand new school. So the gym was big enough to accommodate, you know, the blacks on one side, the whites on the other side. Don't ask me why it was like that, but it was because. But Jim, we had a black coach. The white guys, they had a white coach. Now, I thought it was strange. The white coach, he's a little fat, greasy pork chop looking something. Our coach looked like a drill sergeant in the Marine Corps. Hmm. And he used his authority to keep us in check, meaning, you know, he'll cause bodily harm if you didn't listen to him. And he was that big where, you know, by the time you call the police, it's too late. You know, whip your ass. So either conform or take your punishment. But we got along. You know, everything was cool. And then one day, uh, I'm going to play basketball with my friends on the other side of the gym. And the, the white guys were playing uh, dodgeball on this side. And I decided to change my shoes at a bench on that side instead of going to the other side. And the white guy decided to take advantage of me and hit me in the face with a dodgeball, and I wasn't even playing. And he hit me so hard, I swear to God, it's like the sun hit me in the face, because all I seen was light. 
I seen who did it because he's laughing. He just thought it was hilarious. And and when I got close enough to him, I buffed him in the jaw. And I hit him so hard, I think my fingerprints are still on his jaw. I could be wrong. But when I hit him, I hit him so hard you can see my knuckles on his jaw. And and uh, that caused uh that caused a riot or what they call it. They call it a race riot, but it wasn't a race riot. It just so happened that it was two a black and white kid involved in the incident and certain people that didn't know what was going on were taking sides and as they took sides, you know, it looked like a black white thing because, you know, uh, we all got along in in, in general because we used to smoke weed and drink wine and, and smoke cigarettes together. But now all of a sudden this occurred and everybody was, you know, going to their tribal modes uh, uh who they want to be with. And um, I got kicked out of school for a couple of days. My father didn't understand, really didn't care. And um, after I got back to school, graduated, then I went to Cody. And when I went to Cody, it was worse than Brooks. The residents in Cody surrounded the school with a perimeter of people. And you had to go through that perimeter of people to catch the bus home or to go to school. And for, I say for about five years, that's what I did. I went to school, had to fight white boys to go to school, fight white boys to come home from school. And I did that for five years. And I couldn't understand it, but that's how I got my education. Hmm. Now the rest of the city might not have gone through that because like I said, my friends in McKenzie, predominantly black. Northwestern, predominantly black. Mumford, predominantly black. Henry Ford, predominantly black. Redford, black. You know, they didn't have that problem. Cody was like the last bastion of uh, segregation in Detroit because Cody was a college prep school and they had a good, good, uh, uh, what's the word, a format for uh, educating the students or getting them prepared to go to college. And um, I took advantage of it, even though I skipped school most of the time getting high and, you know, drinking. Uh, I, had, I had fun, other than those periods where it was a little tumultuous or whatever or dysfunctional, I had fun in school, you know. I didn't hate white kids, and white kids didn't hate me, but it was strange and I, because after I got a job in the suburbs and got cool with my white friends and invited them back to the city, they would only come back to the city because of me, but they were terrified of the blacks because they thought we were all heathens and, and hoodlums, and all we did was rob, steal, and kill. And I told them, no, that's not the case. And and if, if that was the case, I'd be one of the victims because I'm no better than, than they are. But it worked out. And uh, you could say I was, I was, I didn't have hangups. I just didn't have hangups. You know, if you're white and cool, you're good with me. If you're black and cool, you're good with me. If you're bad and we got along, you're cool with me. I didn't care. As long as you put your hands on me, we're good to go. When's the first time you ever experienced like a racial situation? Oh, uh, that's deep. I was living in the Herman Garden Projects when I was five years old. And, you know, you got housing units. Well, you know, uh, each housing unit has its own parking lots. And uh, 
I, you know, I, my mother, she, she was, she hadn't had my sister yet, but I was, like I said, yeah, my sister was just born. She might have been a year old, maybe two, because I remember my mother didn't go to work, and I was about five years old. So I'm playing in the projects. I got, like I said, white friends, black friends, Mexican friends, whatever. Anyway, I'm playing with this uh, this black guy, uh, this little guy, this guy. He was black, about my age. His brother, nine years old, didn't like me for some reason. Why? I don't know. Couldn't figure out to this day. I think so. I was beating his brother in marbles, and his brother couldn't shoot marbles, and he didn't like that. That's my assumption. Anyway, uh, the brother was giving me a hard time and called me a mama's boy, blah, 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 blah. Well, uh, I thought he was going to beat me up because he, he, he took my marbles and pushed me. And I ran home crying to, to my mother. So my mother comes back over to his mother's house and, and uh, she tells her, tells his mother, your boy could be too big to be uh, messing with my son. He's only five years old. He's nine and, and he needs to mind his manners. And his mother told my mother, if I couldn't handle myself, I should stay at home. So with that said, my mother, she would take me back back home. She said that the boy messed with me again to pick up a rock and bust him upside his head. So I figuratively took what she meant to be a fact, and that's what I did. I found a rock I could handle and hit it on my little rock. So going back, I get back there. And his little brother got my marbles. So he comes messing with me again. So you had to go get your mom before you battle, son. So this time I was smart enough to grab my marbles before I left. So I grabbed my bag of enough marbles. I pushed him down, got a running start, and got to my rock. And uh, he was coming, still running after me. And I took aim at his head, and I didn't want to throw it if he was too far, and I didn't want to throw it if he was too close. So I just had to sit there and wait a minute. And he got close enough where when I threw the rocket, busted him dead upside his head. Blood just spilling out. He ran one way. I ran home on uh, my mother's apron and didn't tell her what happened. And his mother, him showed up at my mother's residence and she's yelling at my mother, well, look at your boy did to my boy. And my mother, you know, she, she got that look when she knows she did when she did wrong. She'll act like she don't know what's going on. And she told her, well, if if that's the case, then maybe he should stay home because he don't seem like he can take care of himself. <laughs> and that was it. So needless to say, I had to get a new friend. So I stayed closer to the, pro- to the house. And I had a white friend who was five years old. And we were playing. And uh, his brother was nine years old and didn't like me playing with his brother. And again, at five years old, it doesn't dawn on me that I'm I'm experiencing bullyism and discrimination at the same time. Mm-hmm. So when his brother was calling, he kept calling, using the N-word, and I kept correcting him, saying, no, my name is Daryl. And he said, no, you're not. You're just, you're just the N-word. I said, well, I don't know who talked who talk to you or what they said, but that's not my name. But he insisted that was. So I went home, asked my mother about it. 
my mother got upset and because uh, uh, when I was taking a bath, I was trying to wash my skin where it would turn white, not knowing I was black. And my mother came in the bathroom. I asked me why it was taking so long. I told her. She got upset and told me that there's nothing wrong with my color, my skin, blah, 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 blah. But she didn't tell me the world was like it was. And I found that out on my own. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, it was a lot of crazy stuff going on. I don't know. Like, I I think everybody has their own story. But, like, for you specifically, that's a very unique way to come into that. And it, it's still, it's terrible. It's very terrible how that comes, comes to be and how, how they... It can affect kids at such a young age. Well, I I looked at it like uh, something wrong with these people. Ain't nothing wrong with me. But in actuality, they were just uh, displaying or or uh, venting their hate towards me because the stuff they were yeah. going through. That's what I'm thinking. You got to understand a five year old kid going through all that and not being able to hang with his father. And, not being able to go anywhere unless his family takes him, you would think he has nothing else to do because he's only five years old. But those incidents caused me to think. And when I started thinking, I didn't think negative. I just, I was trying to understand why. And because I was trying to understand why, I was coming up with hypotheses of, of, of this and that, making, you know, excuses up. And even though I didn't do anything wrong, I was looking at the world in a different angle. I see things different than the other guy sees, you know. Yeah. Even though people say, well, why are you thinking like that? It's not why I was thinking like that. It's what made me yeah. think like that. And, and uh, you know, see stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, you go somewhere and, and they'll, they'll treat one person another way. And then you go in there and replicate what that person did. All of a sudden, you're walking right on in. And it's like, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And and that's where I, I learned to get that gift to gap. Yeah. It's not it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You know, if I, if I tell you, hey, get the fuck out of my way, right? That's rude in, 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 in uh, delivery. But I said, excuse me, sir, can I get by? Now you look at me like I'm proper and I got manners. Now, how far do you think you're going to get through life with each one of those characters? It, it depends. It depends on your situation because situations require different different results. If you're on a if you're on a on the bad side of town where everybody's fathers and mothers are gangsters and you talk proper, I guarantee you're gonna have a problem with boss. If you did that in a in a you know a, a civil environment, go to clowning, they'll just call the police on you. But if you're civil and polite, people have to take another look at you because your their perception is being thrown off because they're not expecting that kind of behavior or reaction to come out of you. But uh, later on in life, when I was about 12, my father gave me some the best advice I ever heard, and that was to think before you react. It just takes 30 seconds to think before you react. And... I didn't know it was true, but it was true to this day because I see people react before they think. And then after they think, it's too late. The consequences of their uh, decision-making is is detrimental to what they have to live with, meaning 
Okay, so your girl's screwing your best friend. Don't mean you got to blow their brains out. But some people just think it's the end of the world. They can't keep what they want. And it's not. That's not true. Yeah. But, you know, if you let your emotions get the best of you, uh, yeah, you probably will do something stupid like that. But um, when I did experience stuff like that, I just let it go. Just... All right, so she cheating on me. Get another girlfriend. Or uh, he ripped me off. All right, leave him alone. Go find somebody else. And and that's just how I took life. I took life with a grain of salt. If it happens and it's good, you deserve it. If it happens and it's bad and, and you were a part of it, and what did you do? And it's not necessarily what did you do. It's just maybe you're in the wrong place at the wrong time or or you were exposed to something you, you're not accustomed to. You don't know how to react. And and uh, that's just how I learned to deal with life. I wasn't that big, wasn't that tall, wasn't that strong, wasn't that smart, you know, wasn't that pretty. So I had to use my attributes to the best of my knowledge. And by the grace of God, it worked yeah. out. Thanks, Dad. I really appreciate that. Thank you for taking time out to share your stories with us here and thank you guys for listening to robinson 4215 make sure to follow and listen to the next one um we'll be talking about something new all right and uh also we did get confirmation my grandfather will be joining so keep in touch follow up and maybe you'll get to hear from uh the oldest member of the robinson family thomas robinson all right take care stay safe And uh, I'll see you next time.